when I was asked what sport do I play, I played able-bodied soccer growing up. But the difference was, is that I really didn't play because I sat on the bench the whole time. I was not good enough to play with the kids that I grew up with. I wasn't good enough really to play on any team. And I would fight for five minutes every single game. And it took my dad having to create a new team just so that I could have a team to play on. Welcome back to another episode of the Movement Fluidity Podcast, where we share anecdotes and reveal science on the topic of fluid and efficient movement. Here we explore tools for improving movement quality and athleticism for those with and without disabilities. I'm Charlie Graffius, and I am currently studying motor learning and motor control at Teachers College, Columbia University. I was born with cerebral palsy, and I use myself as a test subject to explore the human mind and body and to prove that anything is possible. Today, my guest is Shay Hammond. Shay is a soccer player for the U.S. Para 7 Aside men's national team and also for Clemson Paralympic soccer. He was the youngest member of the men's national team at age 16 and also recently helped the team earn a bronze medal at the Parapan American Games while scoring four goals in the U.S.'s six matches. Shea helped to found the nonprofit organization called CP Soccer, which is a free soccer training program for ambulatory kids with CP, stroke, or traumatic brain injury. Before we get started, if you're enjoying the podcast, Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on Spotify or Apple and share with a friend who may enjoy this content. To support and contribute to the creation of future episodes, you can give a small monthly donation with the link in the description below. So recent updates for me before we get into the episode with Shay. I'm back at school in New York City and in the second semester of the master's program here and Definitely a heavy semester, a lot of neuroscience, and a lot more on the mechanistic side of motor control, and really enjoying it, loving the grind of it, and uh, yeah, just every day learning so much, so can't beat that. Been on and off with, you know, different types of, of workouts and stuff like that, really getting back to just being creative in the gym, trying out different types of sports and different activities and realizing how I thrive off that opposed to having a set schedule in the gym where I go in and do the same exercises and try to progress a little bit over time. I really just like going in and trying new things and uh, just learning that way. What else? Let's see. Got a big announcement in next month's episode that will be dropping on March 1st, and that is about an event that I'll be participating in to fundraise for the CPARF, which is Cerebral Palsy Alliance Research Foundation. So I'm going to be doing this event that actually is in New York City and going to be trying to raise some money for the research. So stay tuned for that episode I'll also be posting all over social media, trying to raise some money, 
and going to be a nice, hard physical challenge as well. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Shay Hammond. Shay Hammond, thanks for coming on. I am super excited to talk to you. I've been seeing you on social media for a while. And uh, yeah, just excited to catch up. So how are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Charlie. I really appreciate it. Of course. You have a good good holiday season? Yeah, something like that. I was able to get home, see the family, just meet my baby niece for the first time. So that was really nice. Oh, nice. But yeah, try to slow it down a little bit. Yep. Congrats on that. And uh, you are at Clemson right now, correct? Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm at Clemson University. I'm a senior. I'll be graduating in May. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, I am a huge fan of everything you do. I feel like we have a lot in common. I've been trying to bring on other guests with CP who have similar stories to me just to pick their brains a little bit on uh, their early life and what they're doing now. And you're doing some pretty awesome things now. I want to start out with going back to a question that has quite a bit of importance for both of our childhoods. And I've heard you mention this on on another podcast and on your TED Talk a little bit, by the way. Go check out Shay's TED Talk. That was pretty awesome. And just want to hear your answer to a basic question, and that is, what sport do you play? <laughs> so at the very basic level of the answer, I play soccer. The version of soccer that I play is called CP football or um, para seven aside soccer, but we refer to it as CP football, CP being cerebral palsy. Uh, I'm a player for the U.S. men's CP national team. So um, I've been a player for, I want to say, coming on eight, nine years now, I want to say. I started in 2015 with the team. So, yeah, this will be my ninth year going into the fall. And uh, yeah, so it's a version of soccer that we play seven aside rather than 11 aside because everyone on the field has either cerebral palsy, has had a stroke, or has suffered a traumatic brain injury. And why was that question so important to you growing up with CP? When I was asked, what sport do I play? I played able-bodied soccer growing up, but the difference was is that I really didn't play because I sat on the bench the whole time. I was not good enough to play with the kids that I grew up with. I wasn't good enough really to play on any team. And I would fight for five minutes every single game. And it took my dad having to create a new team just so that I could have a team to play on. So my dad started a new club with a new team just so that I could continue to train at least and play. And he still didn't play me in the games. I still had to earn every minute that I took uh, in game. So whenever I was asked that question, it was it would always be, I play soccer. Yeah, I play soccer. But I still have to work harder to even get onto the field. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, I had a very similar experience with baseball growing up and then merged into tennis for me. But it really was my identity growing up as a baseball player. And, and I hardly played at all. But it was just being part of the, the team and the environment and just pushing it to even get from me one inning on the mound or like you said five minutes uh on the field do you want to back up a little bit and just talk about your early life and when you started playing soccer and if you played any other sports and just how cp affected your early life yeah for sure Uh, i played soccer because my dad's been a soccer coach for 30 plus years 
uh, in New Jersey. My dad's originally from England as well. So it's a big soccer slash football culture over there. And he raised me with the sport. I mean, as soon as I could walk and walking not very well with cerebral palsy, but as soon as I could walk, I had a ball at my feet and I was doing little games with him and I was going to sessions with him. And as I grew up, everyone else started to get better. And I kind of just stayed where I was because anytime I would kick a ball, I would fall over. Anytime I would try to run, I would fall over. But because I started it at such a young age and because I had the influence of my dad, I stuck with it. And when it came to trying other sports, I couldn't find that same love. I tried lacrosse. I tried baseball. I tried tennis. I tried all these other sports. But every single time I tried one of these sports, I found some sort of way that my CP would impede it. So whether it was I could do the forehand pretty good with my right arm, but when my left arm came into play to do the backhand, it was just not not the way I wanted to do it. And I didn't stick with too many other sports, but soccer was the only one where I really stuck with it the entire time. And as I got older, eventually I finally got better uh, because of all the work and focus that I put into it. Wow, impressive. And also, I forgot to mention, awesome on your dad for creating that organization and everything. It's a special man. He's a special man. So is your diagnosis hemiplegia then? Uh, the left side is affected? Yes. Yeah. So I had a stroke uh, in utero when I was born uh, on the right side of my brain, which affects the entire left side of my body. So my left arm, my left leg, every, every, every bit, I split my side in half. I can even feel it sometimes in my face. Gotcha. Yeah. There are definitely some sports where, you know, it just is that much harder to push through and almost nearly impossible. And for me, with my legs being affected, I was kind of able to get away with pitching and baseball because I could mainly use my arm and and get away from the the mobility and power in the legs uh, but still I mean soccer with one leg affected is, is is no easy task yeah I mean what's funny is my dad would always stick me up top so that way when I would I, this is how I became a striker he would stick me up top because when I was in the box I'd fall over a lot and I'd have bad balance so I'd win penalties and uh that was one of the reasons why I was a striker, but also because on defense, I couldn't run with anyone else. So it was just kind of, all right, we'll stick him up top. And if he falls over, he might win a penalty if for, the, for the few minutes that he has. And it'll work pretty well. But yeah. Well, it seems to have worked pretty well because I've seen all sorts of videos of you scoring goals online and even for, for the U.S. national team. So uh, you want to get into a little bit more about talking about being on the U.S. team and some of your favorite parts and just... Uh, where you guys are at right now. I, I am not able to completely follow what's going on with it. It seems like every year there's a different tournament or different thing going on. So could you give an outline of uh, what you guys are up to on the team right now? Yeah, you've got it right. Every year there's a different tournament. Every year there's, I always get made fun of for that word, by the way. Uh, every year there's a different competition. There's something new. So last year was the Parapan American Games, which we won bronze at, which we're very proud of. But of course we wanted to go for gold. Unfortunately, some things out of our control impeded that. Uh, this this coming year in November, we'll have our World Cup. Our World Cup schedule works on every two years rather than every four years. So we have a World Cup slash World Championships every two years. Um, but in the meantime, it's training. It's staying fit. It's being ready. We'll definitely have camp in the, in the next few months. I'll get to see all the boys again. And we'll just keep trying to improve on what we've done the previous year and in previous years. Last World Cup, we finished fourth overall. Uh, we secured a fourth place ranking for the past few years. So we're the fourth ranked team in the world. And 
we're really trying to prove that we're better than that this year. So we want to go into every game knowing that we can compete with anyone we play with and we can beat anyone we play against. So it's just trying to be the best versions of us we can be. Nice. Love, love to hear that. And I will definitely be tuning in and hoping you guys can bring home a, a different, different type of medal this year. Absolutely. So what does a camp look like for that? That's a great question. And it's not always a question I get asked. That's a really good question. So training camps happen periodically. Uh, in the past, they used to be about monthly. Now they're more every few months where all the guys, because we come from all over the United States. I'm originally from New Jersey. There's one other guy from Jersey on the team. A lot of the guys are down in Georgia. Then there's some guys um, over in California. And I want to say there's some in New York. We have guys all over the place. So we all come together at a location, whether that's in Georgia or that's in California or Florida. And we train for a week. Our coach has a rigorous training plan full of tactics and full of, of different training training expectations for us and what we want to accomplish each training camp, whether that training camp is defensive focus or that training camp is offensive focus. And it's tough, tough, tough training. It's five, six days of multiple sessions, two times a day, and just um, just going at it. Because we only get so much time together as a team we have to take advantage of the time that we have in camp on the field. And then away from camp, it's obviously watching film, being in touch with the rest of the team uh, via social media and via group chats, things like that. So we can keep that team culture, but it's really important that when we're in camp, we are all at our best and we're all working very hard to put ourselves in the best position to achieve our goals. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Sounds intense. Do they prioritize any sort of recovery? Just thinking that, you know, two-a-day sessions, especially for people with CP, can be pretty taxing on the nervous system. So are there any recovery methods that are in place when you guys are training together? Absolutely, yes. So as you said, as you said perfectly, two, ta- two sessions a day is very taxing on a body with cerebral palsy. And that's the other thing to remember as us as CP athletes is we're also athletes. We have to be able to meet those standards we we play at a very high level at a very elite level um, in terms of our expectations and demands so we have to meet those standards and for that we have to be able to recover well so thankfully with us soccer we have an amazing uh, medical staff so we are always have almost almost around the clock pt care uh, doctor's care just they're always monitoring us seeing how we're doing we use uh, normatec boots we use um i'm trying to think of some of the other things foam rollers just anything uh, anything that's available to us uh, that a normal travel team would have. But a lot of it does come down to the individual as well, right? So we have to make sure that we're we're taking advantage of our nap time, for example, in between sessions. We have to take advantage of what time we go to bed. We have to take advantage of the PT staff, of the athletic training staff that's there to help us. So it's always after at the, at the end of a hard day, when we're in, when we're in with all our hands in together and all that stuff, we're about to break it down. Our captain will always say, make sure you get your recovery in so we can do it all again tomorrow. So people will sign up for uh, treatment times and things like that. But it obviously comes down to our own individual responsibility. But we have a great, great support system to help us. I also utilize the naps. If I am doing two days of any sorts, I really try not to do it without a nap because it makes the biggest difference just getting that that complete recharge and if I don't then the the spasticity and other symptoms of CP 
really come up in the second session. And I feel like the the whole motor learning of the skill that you're doing is pretty pretty bad in those second sessions if you haven't recovered. For sure, for sure. Sleep is so important. How about, do you guys do any cold or hot therapy, cold tubs or saunas or anything like that? Sometimes at the end of training sessions, we'll do cold, we'll do, uh, cold tubs, yeah. We'll do some pretty intense ice baths. I remember uh, during the Parapat American Games, at the end of some games, we brought our own cold tub. Well, it was more of an inflatable kiddie pool, but we, we brought our own tub, and when we and at the end of games, when we get back to the village, we filled up with and the water was so cold so cold we'd get in the water and it would just be frigid and uh but that's what we needed to do because in the power pad american games we had three games in a row so we played chile argentina brazil back to back to back we needed to be ready to go all three days at our 100 percent. so the ice bath was what we did and gosh getting out of the ice bath that's when i would say my cerebral palsy affects me the worst because when i'm, when I'm cold Oh my goodness, my arm is locked, my leg is locked, just trying to find any way to get body heat. Interesting, yeah. I've experimented a lot with hot and cold recently and over the years, and it used to be the same for me. My legs would completely shut down from the cold, but I've practiced different breathing techniques and, and different things while in the tub, and now the cold tub is honestly the best recovery tool I've ever done, and I come out and I have never felt better. So... I don't know what it is. There's some sort of hump to get over maybe. And and then at least in my experience, it can can go the opposite way. So I don't know, something to think about, I guess. Certainly a great tool. It's just the immediate after. I'm definitely frozen. Right, yeah. I got to get a, a hot tub or something in there to, to warm up afterwards. So how about when you are not with the U.S. national team? What does your training look like? It's a great question again. So uh, I'm here at Clemson. I train here at Clemson University. They're amazing and accommodating with me and my travel schedule and all that. Uh, I train on the field at the university facilities with a bunch of other guys that are here because Clemson University has a scholarship program for for Paralympic soccer athletes. So I train here pretty much full time. I train in the gym with our programs that our athletic trainer sends us or our performance whatever his title it really is. He sends us our performance trainer and obviously I work out at other studios as well. And it's just trying to stay at the highest level of fitness that I can, right? I mean, being at a national team level means we have to be able to play at the highest level pretty much at any time. So it's just maintaining fitness year round, not trying to let the holiday, not trying to let the holiday snacks creep up on me too much. So maybe working a few of those off right now, but uh, really it's just training, training, training. It's, there's no, there's no, there's no secret about it when it comes to playing at a high level or playing for the national team. It is if you work hard, you will get there. If you don't work hard, you will fall off and you will no longer be a part of the team. Gotcha. And I'm also still working off those holiday snacks, so uh, maybe, maybe by February <laughs> we'll be there. Absolutely. I, I want to pick your brain a little further on your training, just because I, I'm so interested in the elite athletes with CP. Uh, because mm -hmm. that's really a, you know, the research and everything isn't done on that. You know, it's done on children mm -hmm. and especially people with that are more severely impacted. But just a personal interest of mine is of athletics course. with CP. So different training modalities, like whether you're you're running, you're you're lifting, 
doing the physical therapy type stuff, do you notice differences in the the function of your the left side of your body? Absolutely. Yeah, there's plenty of differences, whether it's strength, uh, flexibility, mobility. There's differences in in so many athletic movements and so many training movements. Uh, it's really important just to know your body, know what you can do, know what just is or is not going to be effective. Uh, for example, if I'm doing a bench press, for example, I know my left arm is going to be weaker than my right or my left chest is going to be weaker than my right, my right side. And I don't want to become majorly imbalanced between my left and right sides. So I'm not going to lift a heavier weight on my right side compared to my left side. I'm going to do the same amount. And then I'm going to try to do more on my left side so it can catch up to my right. A lot of people think that, well, a lot of people think that um, it's like, oh, if you can do the most amount of weight on your right side, why don't you just do that? It's like, no, that causes even more imbalance. And then that causes even more difficulty doing other movements and other basic things. So there already is a natural strength in balance. My right side is a lot stronger than my left and it's a lot easier to do certain weights and movements, but it's about trying to find as much balance as I possibly can and recognizing, hey, listen, this movement is just not gonna help me because my body is too tight to, to complete it and it's not gonna be effective. So I would say really just knowing your body, knowing what works, trying and failing, but, and also keeping it simple. Keeping it simple is so important. I mean, I would say my training is not much different than children's training in a lot of ways, because I do a lot of the same movements. It's just, I've been doing them for so long and doing them so often that I'm just a little, I'm a, I'm a little bit better at them, I guess is, is the best way I can say it. I mean, when I'm doing duck walks, I've been doing duck walks since I was six years old. When I've been doing running back and forth, I've been doing that for a long time. When I'm doing certain weightlifting movements and things like that, it just takes a lot of time to get to get better at these things. So it's also patience. Just be patient. Be patient, be patient, be patient, and work hard at it. Well, props to you on that patience and the hard work. And also, you know, not ego lifting in the gym because it would be very easy oh, for for you to, you know, lift 20, 20 more pounds on your right side. And there's nothing worse than seeing somebody bench press and one side shoots up and then the other side slowly goes up and, you know, they think they, they did the weight and it's like, uh, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe bring it down a little bit and get those, get rid of those muscular imbalances. And so again, props to you for that. How about saving energy on a daily basis? I, I heard you talk about this on another podcast and it really I've been thinking a lot about it because this is something I haven't thought about and haven't acted on. But I think on certain days where I have heavy training sessions right now, I'm big into jujitsu. That's my the new thing I'm, I'm diving into living in Manhattan here. And, you know, if I'm not feeling it on a day and there's four flights of stairs to get up to a class, maybe you know, taking the elevator is, is a good option instead of thinking I want to get a little mini workout in. So how do you approach that saving energy on a daily basis? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Ugh, let me think for a second. Um, it's how we live our life, right? I mean, with cerebral palsy, we know we have to do things slightly differently. And so often are we taught and told that we have to do things the same way. We have to try to be as able-bodied as we possibly can when really sometimes we don't sometimes the accommodations are there 
to even the playing field, to even things out. Because when we want to focus on something so heavily like a sport or even if it's an academic endeavor, it takes a lot more stress and focus on our body and our mind for us to even complete those tasks tasks at a basic level, right? So we need as much energy as as possible going into those things. And on days where they are extremely taxing, it's so important for us to save as much energy as you can. So there's no shame in taking a little bit of extra help, whether it's parking closer to the store and having a few less steps that saves me so much energy because if I can save myself 20 steps in a, when I park and walk to the store, that'll, that'll save me by the end of the day. Because when I'm walking from my bed to my fridge to grab a drink of water, I won't be struggling to do just the basic things, right? I always think, what am I going to do at the end of the day that is going to be affected by what I'm doing now, if that makes sense. So I'm not destroying my body, destroying my my energy levels. That way I can at least function to do the basic things every day. Um, so really just finding any little way that you can conserve energy. Taking the elevator is a great example. Is a great example you, you said um, on days where you really need some extra energy in the storage. And recognizing that, hey, listen, we have accommodations for a reason, right? So not being ashamed of them. And yeah. Yeah, it's it seems to me that the way you go to sleep in terms of how the body feels with CP will be amplified by tenfold in the morning. So, you know, if you're going to bed feeling really stiff and spastic and tight, then you wake up and you're going to feel awful. And if you have a training session the next day, it is going to be an absolute mission. Yep. Just try to find as many ways to conserve energy and to, and to carry that into every day as you can. Cause if you have things that you want to focus on, put your energy into those things. Cause we only have so much to spare. Right. Yeah, exactly. How about I've heard you mention, and you did a reel on Instagram about this about thinking about every step you take and for you and for me also it was the heel toe pattern and i also had many people in my ear growing up just ingraining this in me and for those that don't know there are certain muscles in the lower leg for those interested the posterior tibialis is is the big one that is super tight in people with cp and it causes you to walk on your toes and instead of having that nice heel toe glide that you see in in normal gait how did this affect you growing up and how is it affecting you now do you feel like from all those cues from constantly hearing heel toe pattern in your ear have you been able to almost override that and create some some new walking patterns yes yes i would say that i definitely have a new walking pattern for the most part, especially when I'm not tired or I'm not fatigued because that's when it affects me the most is when I'm tired and fatigued, just throw everything that I've done when I was a kid out the window, right? It's just, all right, I gotta get from one place to the next. But for the most part, I tell myself every day, all right, heel toe, heel toe. If I catch myself tripping over myself, I go, oh, that's because I'm walking on my toe. Let's go back to it, heel toe, heel toe, heel toe. And I always reference this because my friends who know me best, they know when I'm tired. They know when they can hear my foot hitting the ground harder. They can hear my my foot, my left leg kind of dragging a little bit. So they're like, oh, Shay's a little tired. And they'll even tell me, Shay, put your heel down or Shay, you're tired, aren't you? Uh, pick, your, pick, your, uh, pick your toe up. 
So having that current support system, along with how I was trained as a kid with my parents always saying, shape or heel down, shape or heel down, shape or heel down. It really helps me now keep those same walking patterns, but it's a constant thing, right? I, it's a constant, constant thing. When I was a kid, it was a lot more applied where I was having to tell myself, all right, put my heel down, put my heel down, put my heel down. Whereas now it's a little bit more subconscious where I am still thinking about it and it does slip up a little bit more where, cause I don't think about it as much, but my natural gait because of my flexibility that I've earned through physical therapy and things like that is more improved than it when it, than when I was a kid for sure. Well, it seems like you are very okay with being tired and letting those symptoms come back. So again, props to you for that. That's something I've definitely struggled with and, you know, taking a scientific approach to, to training for CP for many years, I got in a habit of just always wanting it to feel good and, you know, doing everything I could for the, the symptoms to, to not be there, you know, whether it's getting just a little bit better every day or staying at the same level and all those intense training sessions, like playing tennis, like doing jujitsu, you definitely and soccer, you'll definitely feel worse afterwards. So that's something I am, I'm still working on realizing the importance of because one, just it's the stuff I love to do. So it shouldn't hold me back that I'm going to feel a little worse afterwards. And also it's, it's just, it's what we, we grew up wanting to do. So I, there, there should be no, uh, no yeah. reason for the acute feeling to, to hold you back. It's almost like I feel like I've made so much progress and then it brings you back to childhood. That's what it seems like to me. We'll think of, we'll think of it this way. It's going to hurt regardless, because if you're not doing these things, then your body is only going to become tighter. Your own body's only be, be gonna, going to become weaker. Sorry about that. Um, so you're going to have struggle with walking regardless. But doing these activities, doing these strength exercises, doing these um, sports like jujitsu and, and soccer and tennis and whatever else, they will help your body. They will help your body move easier. They will help your body feel better in the long run and the short run. You might be a little extra sore and you might be a little harder to move in the evenings, but it's picking which sore you want to be because you're going to be sore regardless. And I much prefer to be sore after a workout than after doing nothing at all, because for our bodies, that's how it's going to be no matter what. So it's really pick which one you want and know which one will help you the best. Yeah. I appreciate that advice. And totally, I mean, pick your, yeah, pick your sore and it always feels a hundred times better when it's, it's soreness from, from a good workout. And also, you know, especially adults yeah. with CP that become sedentary, you know, CP doesn't is not progressive, but it gets worse if you don't do anything. And then it can not only the musculoskeletal or neuromuscular issues, but also just can develop diabetes, cancer, all these different things from living a sedentary life. So I I just love that you're putting the message out there for uh, being active and especially being in a community of uh, CP soccer. So I want to shift gears a little bit. And can you give the background on the CP soccer nonprofit organization? Yeah. So CP soccer, non CP soccer is the nonprofit I helped found with my dad and another family named uh, the Hallowells, uh, Eli and Levi Hallowell. Uh, we founded it together back in 2017. 
where it's the first ever soccer team specifically for kids with CP stroke TBI at the club level uh, in the United States. So we provide free soccer training sessions to any, any kid with CP stroke TBI. Uh, we started in New Jersey with just one location in tri-state area. We had kids coming from Connecticut. We had kids coming from uh, even as far as Maryland sometimes uh, just to participate. So we expanded and we expanded to numerous locations around the country. Now we're at about 13 going on 14, 15, 16, hopefully by the end of the year. Uh, we also hold our yearly summer camp, um, which is the only really paid thing that we do just because we have to cover costs to run it. But any any local practices at locations are completely free. And our summer camp is just pay the cost to to attend. It's not looking to make money in any sense. Uh, we also offer our U21 program slash senior team, which is for athletes that aspire to be on the national team one day, because we are also the feeder system to my team, the national team. So we compete against teams from other countries. Uh, we go abroad. Uh, we 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 went to England last year. Uh, we invited over an English team and a Dutch team last year as well. Uh, over the summer, we competed in some games against them. So really, we're just building up the grassroots game of CP football in the, in the United States because it didn't exist back before 2017. We created it. So, yeah, that's a little elevator pitch of what CP soccer is. Oh, that's incredible, man. And if I was growing up and had the opportunity to do that, that would have just been the best thing in my life so i'm sure these kids are just absolutely loving it you know not only playing sports but playing sports with kids that have the the similar disability to you and that can definitely be a limiting factor for for kids joining sports because there's nobody like them and they can't figure out why they can't move their body the same way as other kids it's harder to keep up and then social aspects too the bullying and all these different things so when when it's a a community of all the same population, I'm sure it's just the most amazing thing. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to to be a part of this in some way or another going forward. You hit the nail on the head, it's community. How about during COVID? So you said 2017, you guys founded this. Were you able to keep it going during the pandemic? Yes. Yes. So the pandemic and what we did over the pandemic is one of the things I'm most proud of, honestly, in my life, uh, what we were able to do and what we were able to accomplish. So the world shut down, I want to say about March, April. Right. And in early April, my dad and I because my dad owns an indoor sports facility. That's his business. He owns um, I don't know the square footage, but he owns he's got two fields and what we would do as our family to escape is we'd go there every day because no one else was coming in. So it was just our family. We'd go from our house to the facility. My brother and I would kick around a little bit. My dad would join us sometimes because the world was shut down and it was early April and, I was, and we were talking about CP soccer and what could we do? What's something cool that we could do? We couldn't figure out really what to do. Nobody knew what to do because we, nobody knew what was happening. Uh, it was the first pandemic in however long. And my dad comes up with the idea. I was like, what if we did a Zoom session? What if we just what if we just did a Zoom session and invited everyone in our program and they joined and we just did it that way? So we did. And my dad got his iPad, he got onto Zoom, and we invited all we we sent the email out to anyone who had ever been to a CP soccer practice in the United States, whether it was in Texas or whether they'd only been to camp or whether they were in whether they were in Jersey. And my dad held the camera and I did the demonstrations and my dad would commentate. I would, um, 
I would demonstrate. So that's how it started. And then it just snowballed. It snowballed big time. It was amazing. We added more and more kids every single day because it would be just as you and I are now, except my dad would be holding the camera, focusing on me, but he'd be looking at all the different screens and he'd call out names and what everyone was doing. So for example, if I was doing toe taps, I would, I would say, all right, everyone, now we're gonna do toe taps. So then my dad would go on and go, Emily down in Kentucky doing toe taps or Tucker over in Texas doing toe taps, great work. Just calling everyone out in all corners of the country we had people in California doing it and they could do it anywhere. We only did skills that you could do on your own in your backyard, for example, or in your basement. So we had kids in the back garden. We had kids, if it was raining, guess what? They went in the garage. We had kids in the living rooms and we would always, we, we I would say, I think we broke a few iPads. We broke a few vases. Um, we hit a couple dogs, but no, 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 no injuries to dogs, but it was just a really special time for, I want to say about 12 weeks or so over the summer before I went to college. Cause this was before I was going off to college, uh, every single day, Monday to Friday, three, uh, it was either, I think it was three to 4 PM. Yeah. Three to 4 PM. Every single day we did our, we called it our broadcast and we did it on zoom and it was special. Uh, we had two, we had two major events where we did them on a global scale. So we had people from all over the world join in as well. So at one point we had um, a person with cerebral palsy from every single continent. We actually flew a ball into a child in Africa who didn't have a ball and we got, and the ball arrived 10 minutes before the session started and we were able to get him on the Zoom. So we, we had our broadcast and every single day, it was just so, so special. I mean, I. I would love to go back to that time and just revisit it again, just because of how amazing it was. And I would love to continue to do, to do the, the zoom sessions, but yeah, no, it was a really, really special time. Just every single day we had our broadcast and kids from all over. And some days we'd have 20, some days we'd have 40, some days we'd have even more or less, whatever it was, but every single day we had someone show up and every single day someone with CP did something that helped them because all you needed was physical activity. The hardest part of the pandemic for people with disabilities is that they didn't have access to their physical therapists. They didn't have access to their activities that are required for you to move better. So we gave them something to do. Right. You gave them something that's absolutely huge and probably carried over to habits after the pandemic. And if you guys do any more of those Zooms, I would love to join. And also I, I saw online that you guys look for counselors for camps for the summer camps in the future. So I definitely want to talk to you about that because I, I just want to get into the, the CP community more and more and especially into sports that are team settings because, you know, growing up with baseball, that's obviously a team sport, but then getting into tennis, it's more, more of a singles or doubles type thing. And then jujitsu is a, an individual sport, but the thing I love most about athletics and sports is is the team aspect of it. And if everybody happened to have the same disability I do, that would I just can't even imagine that. That's like the the dream right there. So would love to do something with you guys in the future. It's really special. It's really special being surrounded by and we'd love to have you. Uh, there's it's really special to be surrounded by kids, everyone who shares the same things, because you learn from each other, right? You learn different ways to do things. You learn new ways to tie your shoes, new ways to put your brace on, new ways to do this, this, or this. 
And it's just so special to see how the kids interact and nobody's judging each other because everyone knows what everyone else goes through. Even if one kid say, for example, has a more severe, severe case of cerebral palsy or someone has less, you still have similar things that you all go through. It's like, Oh yeah, no, my left arm doesn't work as well. It's, oh yeah, no, same. Mine's just a little bit worse or mine's just a little bit better, whatever it is. And just the banter that goes on is also so special and so funny. Next question I have for you, Shay, is I've heard another thing I've heard you mention online is about disability education in schools. And it's definitely something that that needs some work. And it seems like you have some really good thoughts on that. So you want to go into uh, your thoughts on improving disability education a little bit? Absolutely. So a few things when it comes to disability education in schools is that it really doesn't exist for the most part. Uh, So at the very basics, you need to add a curriculum of teaching people what certain disabilities are, especially some of the more common disabilities, some disability etiquette, uh, how to ask questions, things like that, because a lot of people get so uncomfortable when they find out that someone has a disability and sometimes they don't know how to ask questions. They assume things because if you don't ask questions, you'll automatically just start assuming things. So if there's no education on how to ask questions or how to interact with someone who has a disability uh, secret, you don't act much different at all. It's just asking someone a question in a nice way that doesn't insult them. So instead of saying, oh, what's wrong with your leg? You say you ask questions seeking information. But other ways that you can do it is also representation. I remember growing up in school, we had plenty of speakers come in to talk talk to us about various different different topics from drugs, alcohol, to motivational speakers, to whatever. Uh, it's important to bring people in with really incredible experiences that can show what people with disabilities are capable of. Because not only does it educate the kid and the kid in the one the one kid in the school who has a disability who didn't think he'd be able to do anything, but it also educates the able-bodied children to realize that oh wow, people with disabilities can do incredible things as well, uh, without just assuming that everyone with a disability needs help, needs assistance, needs whatever else. Uh, those are two big ways that I think disability education could be improved. And I'm sure someone a lot smarter than me has plenty other ways to implement them and uh, put them into action. Yeah, but I think you nailed it on the head for the basics of it. I mean, if there's no curriculum, there doesn't doesn't matter. There's just nothing there. So I agree. We need we need that to be the first step. And I maybe I'll I'll uh, I'll reach out to the disability services here, Teachers College, where I, I'm studying right now and, and see if there's what they're doing and if they're they're open to any new ideas. They want to bring me in. I'm happy to talk to them. (laughs) Cool, cool. I'll let you know. Well, Shay, last question I have for you is the one I ask every guest. And that is, what does movement fluidity mean to you? Just taking the words as I hear the movement fluidity. Hmm. Just sounds like being comfortable in how you move. That's the way I hear it. It's just movement fluidity. Just moving. Just keep moving. Keep doing what feels good for you, what feels what what feels best for you, but also how can you even be better? Just flowing, just flowing like a river, moving like a river, just keep moving. Uh, that's that's what I hear when I hear those words. I'm just kind of, it's almost like, oh, what's the word? Uh, word association game. That's kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm doing with that. So movement fluidity just sounds a lot like just 
keep going, keep moving and doing what feels best for you and how you move. Nice. Yeah. Bonner actually last month gave a, a similar, uh, he gave a similar answer and talked about how. I spoke right here. Well, Bonner, he's a great guy. I actually got I to text him after this. He's a good guy. Yeah. Anyways, he, he said, I forget exactly. I'm paraphrasing, but he said one day is going to look less fluid than the other, but you know, it's all about how you perceive it and it's just keep moving, keep flowing. So whether it's the beginning of the day, like we talked about, or the end of the day, where in terms of objective fluidity at the end of the day, after hard training sessions, we're, we're not moving as well, but at that point of the day, it's the best we can be moving. So just continue to flow, like you said. So great answer there, Shay. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, dang, I got to follow Bonner in this. Oh my goodness. You're going to let me know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I know he was, the, I post on the first of every month. So he was the, the New Year's Day episode and definitely had an amazing talk. But no, you, you too, man, both just having some, some amazing guests recently. And I'm super, super happy to have that. Well, you want to finish up, Shay, with telling people where they can find you on social media and the foundation as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram at Shay underscore Hammond, or if you just look up Shay Hammond, uh, I'm the one with the blue mark, which is pretty cool. Uh, you can find me on TikTok, Shay Hammond. You could find me, um, I'm trying to think where else. Uh, you could find my TED Talk if you just look up uh, Shay Hammond TED Talk or Paralyzed Paralympic. Um, you can also follow CP Soccer on all socials by cpsoccer.us. And um, you can find our website, cpsoccer.us. Is it, yeah, cpsoccer.us as well online and uh, keep up with what we're doing. I post frequently on social media for what I'm doing, where I'm traveling, uh, what I'm doing with CP Soccer and keeping updated with what CP Soccer is doing. So, uh, yeah. Cool. I will get links to all, all, of, all of those in the description. And just want to thank you again, Shay. Awesome talking to you. I look forward to connecting more in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have my number. Sweet. See you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the episode. Hope you guys found it as enjoyable as I did. If you are enjoying the Movement Fluidity podcast, please subscribe, leave a review on Spotify or Apple, and you can support future episodes of the podcast by giving a small monthly donation through the link in the description below. Also, if you know anybody who could be a guest in a future episode, please let me know. You can find me on Instagram at charlie.graphius, Facebook, Charlie Graphius, and email charliegraphius at gmail.com. Have a good day.